the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gennetti. It is Monday, September 11th, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Local community here is gearing up for Bills at Jets Monday Night Football. We're going to start talking about all the games that happened prior to Monday Night Football. Uh, some overreactions, some offseason moves that have to be called into question. And uh, at some point in time during this segment, a full, complete breakdown of Nick Bosa's massive contract, which is as massive as advertised, which almost never happens in this league. So <laughs> we'll uh, we'll dive into the facts and figures of that as well. Um, let's start backwards. Dallas at New York. Daniel Jones signs a bridge contract. And by the way, I had some fun with him on Twitter. A lot of people, you know, decided to go out and and uh, and crush Daniel Jones and that contract last night. And it is the trending story on Spotrick.com right now. Just keep in mind, this was a bridge contract. Yep, it's forty million a year. It's actually forty-one million a year in terms of the first two years of guarantees. Uh, he's getting eighty-one million of this thing, no matter what he does. So. If that's the going rate for a bridge contract, so be it. That's what it was. All right. Should they have franchise tagged him? Probably. And, and you know, thrown $25 million guaranteed at Saquon Barkley instead. But it's a complete overreaction to say that what happened last night is Daniel Jones' fault. Uh, left tackle injured like three plays into that game. Yep, there were some bad throws. Yep, there were some missed throws. But Dallas is damn good, damn fast. And they're going to be a problem for every single quarterback in the league, let alone one that needed a bridge contract this offseason. So uh, there's not much more to say about that. Um, if it looks like this, there's a world where they can trade Daniel Jones after 2023, get, take on some of that cash and let somebody else deal with the final year of his guarantee. But just keep in mind, this contract only runs through 2024 until it doesn't. It's a two-year deal. And the Giants know that they're living short-term. Saquon Barkley is probably a one-and-done here. The wide receiver core has nothing in terms of financials. Darren, Darren Waller is the highest paid player, highest paid weapon on this entire roster. And by the way, he's already banged up, still is not over this hamstring situation. His guarantees fall off after 2023 as well. So the Giants kind of know who they are. Nothing they did this past year, with the exception of $81 million to Daniel Jones, was drastic. You know, defensively, Dexter Lawrence, you know, those, those players are locked in. But they're going to be here no matter what the offense looks like. You know, it's kind of like Tennessee's operating right now. They're going to live and die by their defense most weeks. And they're just going to be some weeks where their offense runs into a, you know, a semi-Mac truck. And that's what the Dallas Cowboys defense is right now. And there's a few of those defenses in the league, I think Cleveland, Buffalo, San Francisco, uh, to name a few, there are some fast, smart defenses in this football league. And the giants ran into one last night. So, it's not an overreaction to say that this Giants offense could be completely lackluster, somewhat overpaid, and probably a one-and-done scenario. That's probably what we're going to be discussing in Week 18, let alone in Week 1. But it's an overreaction to say that Daniel, Daniel Jones is a disaster, uh, even though Week 1 was a complete disaster. Moving on to Dallas. Dak Prescott is now an accessory on this, on this team. And I think this is exactly what the Dallas Cowboys were looking for. Keep in mind, this is not a number one overall pick. This is not a first round pick. This is not a second round pick. Okay, this is a mid round quarterback that outkicked his coverage early enough to get a real shot, get a real contract, go through a couple of franchise tags, gain himself some leverage, yada, yada. He's an above average quarterback. He doesn't have to be elite on this team now specifically because of how damn good that defense is, 
because of how dynamic Tony Pollard is now fully unlocked, even though they barely utilized him yesterday because of the CD lamb situation, they barely utilized, you know, Brandon cooks and any of those accessory pieces in terms of weapons. There's a lot of depth here. This is exactly the kind of roster that had to be built for a Dak Prescott or Kirk cousins, a above average, but not elite quarterback who can, who at times can carry you, but most of the time just needs to do their job and let a good roster cook. That's what Dallas is now. That's what everybody said they were going to be. And there's no question after week one that that's exactly who they are on paper and on the field. So when we get to the point where Dak Prescott needs a new contract, we've discussed it before. It's been on every extension list I've had because of that $59 million cap hit looming for 2024 in an expiring contract year next year. It's going to happen. All I'm going to say is, is if this is what the Dallas Cowboys look like and Dak is simply a strong piece to the puzzle, but not put, put this team on my shoulders and carry them into the Super Bowl, right? If it's Pollard doing that, if it's Micah Parsons doing that, by the way, who also becomes extension eligible after 2023, will Dak have the kind of leverage that he had the last time around? The answer is absolutely and absolutely no. All right. So will he be looking for... Look, Cousins went fully guaranteed, but Cousins never went near top of the market in terms of guarantee and average salary. Okay, he was he was happy to kind of live in that second tier constantly, and he's going to have to do it again if he wants another big deal. He was happy to be a little bit under the mark to secure a couple of years fully guaranteed and to keep himself contractually leveraged. And what do we mean by that? The conversation we're having with Dak right now where there's a, an extremely high cap hit because of restructures in an expiring contract is leverage for Dak. Even if on the field, his leverage has been reduced, in my opinion, at least to start the season and, and based on how they've built this team. But because of what they've done, right, three consecutive cap conversions, they have to get out of this thing. Now, they can just do a fourth conversion and let Dak's contract expire. That, that's possible. I don't think the leverage for Dak or the need for Dak will drop near that low, but it's possible. That's essentially where we are at with Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings. And I don't mean to be putting those two together as much as I do, but on the field and contractually speaking, they kind of, they kind of mirror each other. They went to the franchise take situation with their first team. Dak ended up staying and getting the contract. Kirk had to leave Washington to deal with the fully guaranteed free agent situation in Minnesota. And he hasn't looked back since, but here we are again, Kirk's on an actual expiring contract decks on an, on the contract that Kirk has gone through, which is, the cap and the dead cap is so significant that we have to do something as a team to move off of this thing. And for the most part, 99% of the world thinks Dak's just getting a new contract. I, I'm just here to say that if it was going to be 50, 52 million a year, maybe we push the pedal down a little bit on that, the brake pedal just a little bit because there's more miles to feed in Dallas. There are, there, there's, there's going to be a couple of more situations that come up. Pollard might deserve a three-year extension if he's healthy and becomes the weapon they need. CeeDee Lamb, is going near 30 mil. I mean, he's that kind of player. And Micah Parsons now has Nick Bosa's contract, which we'll get to in a second, as a foundation, okay? Because this guy is the defensive player in the league. Bosa was up there. Aaron Donald was certainly there for a while, right? Chris Jones has had a, has had a moment there. It is Micah Parsons' league, defensively speaking, and he's done nothing to show otherwise for a year and a half here. He'll be extension eligible in December after the regular season ends. And Nick Bosa's numbers are going to be the numbers. And they're big. So more reason for the Cowboys to look at Dak and say, hey, man, 
we're going to guarantee you three years full out, but you got to play ball with us. Okay. It's got to be around the 48 million per year mark. We'll give you the nice 75, $80 million signing bonus like we like to do, but it's got to be within reason because in order to keep this depth together, in order to maximize your, your capacity, we've got to look like this and, and looking like this costs a lot of money to be, to be spread around everywhere, including the offensive line and things like that. So, uh, that's my read from Dallas's standpoint. They're good as hell. They're deep as hell. But deep teams cost a lot of money. And while Dak has contract leverage right now, from the roster standpoint, he might have to play a little ball this time around to keep this band together. And with players like Micah Parsons out there on the other side of the, of the ball needing that kind of money, Dak should be willing to do so this time around because of what he just bagged over three years. Okay, moving on quickly to a tongue of Ilola needed a massive statement to get himself back in good favor. Now you're still having everybody in the world say, but what if, right? At what point in time does his health become a factor again? I'm not even going to say it. All right. Because I'm never going to assume that that's not, not something I root for. It's not something I try to build analytically in. It simply stopped Miami from paying him this offseason. That's all it did. If you saw the two that I saw in person twice last year, and on you know on my television screens maybe eight nine times over the past couple of seasons, you you kind of saw this game coming and the fact that it happened week one against what we thought was a good Chargers defense, you know man we've been fooled so many times on that team. Tua was the best most productive player in football yesterday outside of the guy he was throwing to Tyreek Hill who was maybe the most unstoppable force on the field yesterday on any field yesterday. That pairing's obviously working. Tua's offseason work is obviously working. It's not an, an if he will stay healthy. I'm just going to assume he's going to stay healthy. And if he's a 80% of what he was in week one, all right, if he's a 300-yard passer, if he's still you know, going 40 to 60 yards on the ground, which you know he can do, though he may be dialing that back intelligently, and if he's as efficient and explosive as he can be, Miami's going to have to pay him, even if... He's 18 months removed from four concussions and, and all the things we've talked about for the last you know, calendar year with Tua. This is, the, this is the level. This is the ceiling. All right, Week one, 2023, absolute breakout game. He didn't need it, but he needed it for all of us to get back on his side. And we all should be right now. He is dynamic. He has done everything right from college all the way through, right? making the right decisions, putting the right foot forward from a press standpoint. And now here taking his lumps physically and in the media and coming out and saying, everybody shut the H up right in week one with a comeback win and a massive, massive performance. He's a $47 million player in our system right now. And we account for games missed and we account for red flags. Okay. So what he has done in lieu of the health issues is already top, top, top of the market. So if he starts becoming this player on a more consistent basis, and I think he can be, I've seen it. He's going to be the next 55 to $60 million player in this league. And Miami's going to have to pull that trigger. They're going to have to, all right? Because Mike White ain't that guy. And everything else they've tried, even with a nice roster around him, hasn't looked nearly close to what Tua can be. And Tua has been, and Tua was yesterday. So he's just on his way. All right, this is the pay me year. This is the... Sh the the personal showcase year to the world, right? Even though the world has no say in this, but he's going to put Miami to a point to where they have to pay him, even with the red flags, even with the injury history, even knowing just how expensive things are getting and 60 million per year is not hyperbole anymore. 
It's the next step. It's where Trevor Lawrence is headed. It's where Tua is headed. I don't believe Justin Fields is there quite yet. Okay, but look, we just talked Dak. Dak's in this conversation for mid fifties, unless he plays ball a little bit. Kirk Cousins, to some degree, right? Kirk Cousins almost a 400 yard passer yesterday in a losing effort. So it's just where we're headed. Okay, it's just where we're headed, and Tua is now securely in this conversation, and. There's nothing anybody can say about it except for what if. I'm not one of those guys right now. J.K. Dobbins, man. I, I was trying to delicately limp into this, no pun intended, in the middle of the summer when he went out there and said, I'm going to hold out. I want to get my extension. I don't want to enter the, con- the year in a contract situation. I don't want to get myself into a franchise tag conversation. Everybody looked around and said, what are you talking about, man? You haven't played. Nobody's going to slap an $11 million franchise tag on you for a guy who can't, can't stay on the field. And basically what I said was take a two for 12, take a two for 10, you know, and, and, and go under what you you think your value is just to secure yourself for two seasons, because who, who the hell knows where this is going? This is one of those scenarios where I have the conversation about two and I'm not willing to say, you know, the injury has to be a massive factor. With Dobbins, I was because of where the running back position is contractually speaking, because of where he has been over the past two years. I was rooting for this guy to take something that was offered to him, even if it looked like garbage on paper. Take it, build in a bunch of incentives, and prove everybody wrong by by cashing out eight million in twenty twenty three, and then another you know nine million available next year. Something to that accord. He didn't. Baltimore may never have offered it, probably, and he didn't make he didn't make it through a first half without ending his season with another Achilles tear. Uh, it's awful. Uh, it's it's awful, awful, awful. He's a pending free agent. It's probably likely that his career is over. He's uber, uber talented. He just never got to show it to us at the NFL level. So one of those terrible situations that you hate to see. Um, but man, just more reason for me to bang this drum. Take the offer. All right. Yes, you're getting lowballed. Yes, you're getting devalued. If there's a multi-year offer on the table, please take, please build in a boatload of incentives and per game active bonuses and everything that you have to do to scrounge extra cash where where possible that the team might fold on and take the offer, get it on the books. Because like I said, he is staring now at probably the end of his career because of free agency, no franchise tag, maybe a minimum contract to latch onto a practice squad next year. Maybe. I mean, that's just where we are. Their surplus is gigantic in this league right now. And uh, I feel awful for Dobbins. And I feel awful for the Ravens fans because this was a guy that really could have elevated this offense next to Lamar Jackson for a lot of years. And we really never got to that point. Never, never, never. Jordan Love. Back to a positive story. Certainly needed a big week one to get everybody on his side after you know some rocky situations where he was filling in for Aaron Rodgers, started for Rodgers the, the week that he uh, had COVID and couldn't play. Never really saw enough to have to pass fair judgment, but I think there were a lot of people ready to say this guy wasn't the next. He wasn't ready. Um, and by the way, the restructured contract somewhat said that as, as well. If you remember what happened with Jordan Love and the Packers this offseason, they had to make if, an, uh, an exercise decision on his fifth-year option around May 5th, way back in the spring. That was a $20, $20.2 million fifth-year option. And instead of saying yes or no to that, the two sides agreed to a restructure, which which essentially pays him around nine point eight million this year, which is seven million more than he was set to make, and about six million cash next year. But there's nine million of, of bonus incentives that can be built into twenty twenty four, so he can get himself back to fifteen million ish next year if he 
maxes out his incentives, which would be essentially two for 25. All right. And, and that's, that's not bad as a mini little rookie bridge, kind of an arbitration extension in baseball, right? Which is essentially what has happened here, but a little bit of cash, more cash now for a little bit less cash later. That's a sign to me that the Packers were saying, we got to cover our asses in 2024. Cause if the guy, if this guy's not the guy, we're okay paying him a little bit extra cash for 2023 to be our starting quarterback. If it means we can get out in 2024. And that's to me what the extension said. I didn't want to take on 20 million guaranteed in 2024, which is what the extension, the, the fifth year option would have been instead a little bit more now to get out next year. If we have to, well, week one against the bears might've been the best recipe ever. He looked great. He looked efficient. He looked like the best player on the field at times. Uh, certainly having Aaron Jones in the fold was a smart decision to keep him around. Remember he took a $5 million haircut to stick around this year. Again, if they're going to pay you any money and you got to do something like that, running backs, stick around, do it, get on the field because Aaron Jones value skyrocketed in week one. You know, we kind of forgot about him and just how important he was going to be to a rookie quarterback. That's what it was. Now he pulled up with a hamstring. We'll see if he can get back in the field for week two, but that defense I told you was going to be good. The, the return of Rashawn Gary was going to be a massive, massive turn for that defense. They looked great. They're upper echelon defensively. And they didn't play play with Christian Watson, who could be their most dynamic weapon. So there's a lot of positives. But the biggest positive to me is that Jordan Love looks competent. He looks efficient. He looks like he can get the ball downfield with accuracy. He's moving around in the pocket. He looks like a player that saw Aaron Rodgers do a lot of good things for three years and is now stepping in to be his own version of that. And that's all you can dream of. And it's why so many smart people from 25 years ago still say, let these guys sit behind superstar quarterbacks and watch it all happen. Let the game slow down for them before you throw them to the wolves. I think Bryce Young could have used that. I know CJ Stroud could have used that. He, you knew he was going to be behind it a little bit and he looks behind it. So I, I think there's a real chance that Jordan loves entire scenario, you know, making 7 million guarantee to sit on the bench is now working in everybody's favor. And this little mini restructure should work in the, in the Packers favor for this year. And if he looks like this for 18 weeks and, you know, they win 10, 11 of those ball games, I think they were scheduled to win about six and a half. But if they get themselves into a division slash wildcard standpoint where they're a near 10 win team, everybody's going to rip up 2024 and start over with a multi-year, really nice extension for Jordan Love and the Packers. And he's on the extension list now as a week one overreaction. One more player and then we'll get to the big contract, which is Nick. Bosa, Tyreek Hill, and Justin Jefferson. I'm going to mash these two together. Actually, I'm going to, I'm going to do a three-pack for you. Tyreek Hill, Christian McCaffrey, and Justin Jefferson. If you look at their box scores from yesterday, it looks like every box score they've had for three, four years. There's something to be said about superstar players on good teams or even on okay teams in Minnesota standpoint showing up when everybody else is still trying to figure it out around them. That's why you pay those guys the dollars. That's why Justin Jefferson needs the bank. And I'm going to transition Jefferson's value into Nick Bosa's contract. Because if you read the piece I just wrote on spotchart.com, breaking down Bosa's contract, I finished the concluding thoughts with the reason Justin Jefferson isn't paid right now, in my opinion, is that Nick Bosa's contract exists. Nick Bosa reset the market for every non-quarterback at every level, average, guarantee, pay, cash flow, everything, year two, year three cash, everything about it is the best all time for a non-quarterback contractually speaking. Justin Jefferson is worth that as a weapon, all right? And he took a bad Minnesota offense yesterday, 
and still put up 150 yards receiving and still made all the catches he needed to make. And even when Kirk Cousins couldn't couldn't process a third down down the stretch, he was still the guy, the go-to guy, even though TJ Hawkinson across the street is now the second highest paid tight end in NFL history. Okay. There are guys that stand out when they have to stand out. And for a lot of teams, week one is that preseason get your feet wet game still, right? A lot of these quarterbacks and, and superstar players haven't even played yet from a preseason standpoint. So they need a week to get themselves going. Not McCaffrey, not Jefferson, not Tyreek Hill. The latter two are paid. Jefferson's next on the list. And he is going to break non-quarterback records, contractually speaking. He's going to. And if he doesn't get it in Minnesota, he's going to find a team that'll do it because he is that good, that that explosive, that productive, even when the rest of his team around him is sort of stalling. Let's get to Nick Bosa's contract. It's a monster. I did, I did not bury the lead on this one. All right. I've been all over this on Twitter. Um, again, I never like to overreact immediately when the numbers come out because most of the time the numbers are hogwash. Let's put it that way. Uh, he's a WME client, <clears throat> same agent as Joe Burrow. Hell of a week. Okay. <laughs> Hell of a week for that whole situation, but we'll get to Bosa first. Burrow's contract numbers are coming down the pipeline still. We will get to that as soon as we have them. It's a five-year, $170 million extension. That's five new years, $170 million new dollars. It's six years, 188.9 total through 2028. The 170 is the 10th largest new money contract in the history of football. There are nine quarterback contracts ahead of him. There are seven quarterback contracts behind him. All right. It's big. That's a big, big number. It's a $34 million per year deal. That's 19th all time in, in football. Obviously the highest for a non-quarterback. And it's $2.4 million more than the next non-quarterback, which is Aaron Donald right now at $31.6 million. Okay, so it's not just slightly north of the number two. It's way above. All of these numbers are way above. Nick Bosa didn't just say, I want to be the best at the top at everything. He and his agent sat down and said, look, I'm 25. I had 34 sacks over the last two years. I'm on one of the best teams in football, if not the best team in football. And my quarterback makes three, you know, less than a million dollars a year. All right. His annual average is about $900,000 because he's a seventh round pick. Everything is working in my favor right now. And by the way, if you don't give me this contract, I'm going to hold out. And you're not going to have those 34 sacks on your roster for X number of weeks. He had all of that going in his favor. And he utilized it and leveraged it right up to week one and got this contract, which isn't just north of you know 31.6 million a year, just north of the guarantee at signing. It's way north. And that's what I mean about Justin Jefferson. Nick Bosa had two seasons in San Francisco that separated him from the rest of the edge defender pack. He did. Okay, the production, he was able to stay on the field for those two years. And we do all of our evaluations based on the last two years so that it's not recency bias and it's not three, four years ago when the league and the game was completely different because it's just a fast moving pace. So we do a two-year basis and he had one of the best two-year resumes you can have coming into evaluation. Justin Jefferson has that exact same scenario. He broke records as a rookie. He smashed records last year. He almost broke the receiving yards record. He's going to do it in his lifetime, okay, because of everything we have. His resume stands for itself and it is far above everyone else's resume at his position, Justin Jefferson, just as Nick Bosa had. Bosa went six, excuse me, eight million north of the guarantee net sign number. TJ Watts, 80 million was the leader in the clubhouse. Nick Bosa got 88 million. Okay. It's not 81. It's not 80.1, which you've seen in a couple of cases, right? 
Trent Williams going north of David Bakhtiari, 0.01 more. You got 8 million more guaranteed at signing. The 122.5 is light years more than any other nine quarterback. Light years. All right. And it's real. Okay. It's early. It's either the upfront or early vesting guarantee adding up to 122.5 through 2026. Okay. So through the next four years, there's a little bit of a trickle in 2027. It's like seven or a thousand dollars. But for the most part, it is four years fully maximized upfront or early vesting guarantees at 122.5 million. That's massive. Okay. That's bigger than a lot of the quarterback contracts we have in the books right now. But please keep this in mind quickly before I get to the cash flow stuff. We're hearing a lot of Nick Bosa's contract is better than Josh Allen's and better than Daniel Jones, better than Jalen Hurts. You have to look at where a player was when they were extended. Josh Allen was extended after year three. So he had a fourth year rookie contract salary, excuse me, plus the fifth year option left. Nick Bosa was extended out of his fifth year option. All right. So his starting point was 18 million. Okay. That's built into this. And then we tack on 170. Josh Allen had a $4 million salary. Jalen Hurts had a $3 million salary. Okay. Built into the starting point of their contracts. So you got to, you got to keep that in mind. You can't just say, you know, Nick Bosa got more guaranteed than Josh Allen did. He did. But Josh Allen and the Bills had to account for that fourth year of rookie contract still. Then they can start the process. Again, it's like baseball. Are we buying out pre Are we buying out arbitration? Or are we buying out free agent years? Because each of those phases comes with a very different valuation process. So Josh Allen's fourth year is a very different valuation than Nick Bosa's fifth year. So Am I saying that those two contracts are, are, are equal or, or separate? No, they're just in different stratospheres, okay? Nick Bosa didn't get a quarterback contract. He didn't because if he was a quarterback who was that se- separated statistically from the rest of his pack, he'd be a $65 million player right now. That's what it would be, all right? Because the quarterbacks are worth that much more in the open market. With that said, $51 million in year one, he got a $50 million signing bonus, Okay. That 51 destroys everybody else. It's 8 million more than, guess what? His brother, who was the current leader. Again, not just 1 million more, 8 million more. That seems to be the trend here with this contract. All right? There's cap increase. There's cash flow increase. There's TV money coming. There's gambling money, money built in. A lot has happened over the past two seasons. And Nick Bosa and agent, his agent sat down and said, we have all the leverage right now. We have all the things going in our favor. We're going to push this thing where it actually belongs, not where most people think it could just continue to build. We're going to push, push, push. That's what this is. So the cap flow is nice. It's a triple bonus structure, as we've seen more, you know, many, many times this offseason. $50 million signing bonus. There's a second-year option bonus. There's a third-year option bonus, which means lots of proration, lots of dead cap. But the first three years of salary cap for Nick Bosa add up to $46 million, about $15.3 million a year. Okay. Super doable for San Francisco. They won't have to touch this thing until 2026. And then if they want, they can do some cap conversion work on the $42 million cap hit then. And then we're talking about two years of sort of fluff or, or restructure or extension or things like that to see where we get to. But typical, you know, mo- everything about this from a structural standpoint is typical, but the numbers themselves, the cash, the bonus, the guarantees, certainly the upfront guarantees, aren't just a little bit better than most. 
way better than most. That's the, that's the overarching theme with Nick Bosa. Way better. Uh, the one gripe I'll give you, and I, and I put it in the, at the concluding thoughts of this piece now live on spytrick.com, the one, one gripe I'll give you. San Francisco has been sort of famous for front-loading. Right? They front-loaded the bejesus out of Jimmy Garoppolo's contract, like $43 million all in year one, and then it was unbelievable value, especially for the wins that, that he was able to provide them in year two, three, four, five. Okay, And they finished out that contract with a bit of a restructure at the end there to keep him around. They've done that quite a bit in the past. Now, again, things change quickly. But Brock Purdy's dirt cheap. They did a bunch of cap conversions late, and they actually lead the league in cap space right now. All right. So there's a lot of things on their side to be able to go to this Bosa contract and say, why don't instead of a 50 million signing bonus, how about we do like 15 and we take a huge roster bonus in year one and take a bunch of cap away from this contract in year one so that everything else is even more in our favor going forward. They didn't go this route. Instead, they sort of backloaded some things. There's some fluffiness built into there. Um, not traditional for them, even though it's completely traditional for everybody else in the league. So it's a small, small, minute thing, but I was hoping and sort of expecting that San Francisco was going to keep to their fold and sort of drive a lot of this cap early to give themselves uber value going forward. They didn't do it. I can't blame them. Uh, I understand what's going on right now. Everybody's just understanding that if we wait, the league salary cap is going to be in our favor. So why really ever push our own gamut if we can just rely on the league to bail us out? Right, we can use void years. We can use dead cap. There's always going to be space because the thing's going to keep going 15, 20 million every year, and I don't really see a slowdown in that right now. So, it's probably the wrong time to be aggressive, like I've just asked. In that, dead cap doesn't matter. Void years don't matter. Just keep pushing the can down the line because the salary cap is going to bail them out in the end. Final, final thing, and I'm going to say it again. It's going to be a copycat of what you just heard 10 minutes ago. Justin Jefferson is next. All right. He is the offensive version of this, the non quarterback that is so much better productively than everybody else at his position that the contract can't just limp past the top of the market. It has to blow past it. To me, that's the reason Minnesota didn't get this done. And I believe Nick, Nick Bosa's numbers fortified that. Even if the two sides might have been close, when Bosa's contract came out and it was eight million north of, you know, the two and a half million north of the AAV and eight million of upfront guarantees and eight million of first year cash. When those numbers came out, Justin Jefferson and his camp had to turn around and say, hold on a second. Okay. We don't just want Tyreek Hill money. Okay. We want Nick Bosa money. Okay. Why can't Justin Jefferson be worth 34 million a year, just like Nick Bosa? In fact, I think he should be. All right. To me, this isn't just a offense versus defense thing. This is the contract that Justin Jefferson can now be shooting for. Now it can be shorter because of the risk of injury and things like that, but it should look and smell like this structurally guaranteed wise, all the percentages. That's why I think Justin Jefferson's not paid right now. It has nothing to do with Kirk Cousins. It has nothing to do with Minnesota being cheap. I think Nick Bosa reestablished the way we treat non-quarterback contracts. And now everybody has to catch up and that starts with Justin Jefferson. Okay. We'll be back Thursday with Brandon Kravitz. I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about. We had some injuries we have to get to. Uh, we'll be looking into week two in the NFL. Uh, the NBA is coming around the corner here. And, you know, they're not playing any other basketball right now because of the World Cup bow out. So we will get to some Keith Smith stuff in this on this podcast soon. And then Dan Solman and I have already started the process of Major League Baseball free agency. 
certainly the Otani stuff. I'm going to readdress that entire situation now and probably put out a, a valuation piece now with the injury in tow to try to understand where this thing is going. I do believe there are teams that will still go gigantic on Otani. I'm going to try to pick out those teams, pick out a couple of those offers and offer an updated valuation for Shoei Otani at SpyTrack.com. Coming soon. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Chinetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the SpyTrack Podcast. <laughs>